I don't know the date we started on this, but it's been some time ago. Uh, there's always some sense of rejoicing, I think, when we make it all the way through a book. We've done this a bunch of times over the years, so much so that there's very little of the New Testament that hasn't been touched at one time or another. Uh, and we will be going to the book of Revelation after the Easter services and uh, Palm Sunday next week. So the last uh, five verses, verse 17 through 21, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that it may take hold of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, uh, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have uh, professed in this Uh, gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. It's funny, and in this particular translation, uh, you know, very often the same words are translated differently, and usually it's determined by, uh, by the context. Uh, Verse 17 here is, is the same word that you find in verse 13, where in the NAS it, it, it translates as, as I charge you, and then in 17 it says instruct. It's exactly the same word. So we need to understand this, that uh, in 17 there's a sense in which, which Timothy is not only to instruct, but he's to charge, he's to command, he's to give a command uh, to those who are rich in this present world. Uh, He's already covered riches pretty deeply. The interesting thing before is up to this point, it's been, it's been a warning that he's given to people who want to become rich. People who are purposely seeking after worldly wealth because they want all of the blessings they, they believe it will actually bring to them. In this particular charge, he is talking specifically to people who are wealthy. They've already gained all that worldly wealth. Other places he's mentioned uh, similar things, and that was all the way back in chapter 3, verse 3, where he was given the qualifications for elders. And one of the things he, uh, he said there was that they, they must be free from the love of money. We understand this. That there's something within most of us, all of us to some degree, that makes worldly wealth attractive. Because we think it'll take away our, maybe our worries. I mean, how many people here worry on a regular basis about finances? I do on occasion. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes we think that if only I had a little bit more, or if I just had this, that, or the other, then, then my life would be a lot easier. 
But this is an example uh, to demonstrate to us many things. And one of those is this, is that with worldly wealth, there also comes a lot more, not less, but a lot more responsibility. And the challenge is this, is to invest in temporal things that are only here for a time. And worldly wealth obviously is not something that any of us carries into the afterlife. All of that worldly wealth that we, we uh, manage to, to, to gather to us in our lifetime, when we die, it stays here and our spirit leaves and our body rests in the earth. He's already mentioned in another place some of the sins that, that tend to spring forth from, from worldly wealth and the desire to be, be wealthy. The two he mentions here are uh, pride and conceit and misplaced hope. We can understand that when you have a lot, and let me just say this before I go any further, we need to think about this because there may be one or two people in this room that have come to your mind as we begin uh, doing the study thinking they have a whole lot more than I do, so this message really is for them, not so much for me. By the world standard, every person in this room would be considered wealthy. If you consider all the masses of people who live in this world, as as little as you may look at yourself and as little as you may think you have, you have far more than the majority of people do in this world as we're speaking and far more than most people have ever had in the whole history of mankind. We live in a world that seems to promote worldly wealth is the thing for everyone to aspire to. It, it, we're inundated with it constantly, continually. Your life is not really that great, but it will be a whole lot better if you go out and buy that brand new truck or that brand new car that you really want. It'll just make your life wonderful. Or if you just have that drink of Pepsi-Cola today, your day will be transformed. We hear this kind of stuff all the time. It appeals to that sin that is in each one of us. To, to, to lay hold of worldly wealth as something that is worthy of seeking after. But what the Bible tells us is this. Is it's not anything to invest your whole life into. I mean, the challenge with this this whole thing is this, is that we understand that there are investments worth making and there are other investments that really are not worth making. And the investments that are worth making are those that are eternal investments, not temporal things. Not things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And we understand that wealth can be like that. And there have been some people that have been very, very wealthy only to lose absolutely every bit of it in the blink of an eye. It's very easy for wealthy people in some way to begin to believe that they're just better than other people. They're blessed with wealth because they're better than other people. 
They have a different standard of living. And we know this. We know that some people work very hard to become wealthy, and they do. We also know that there are a lot of people that just walk into wealth. It's given to them. It's passed on to them from generation to generation to generation. But we need to remember this. And that is that God is the one who makes people wealthy. And that is everyone that is wealthy is wealthy simply because God has enabled them to be. Period. It's all his stuff. All of it. It's easy when you have a lot to begin to believe that somehow you deserve it. Look around at all the stuff that you have and it's like, well, yeah, yeah, I deserve it. I've worked hard. I deserve to have the things that I have. But there are people, guys, that will work harder today, uh, just today, than you have ever worked a day in your whole lifetime. And I know some of you put in a lot of hard days. And they will have almost nothing to show for it. You understand that wealth is a blessing that comes from God. Prosperity is a wealth, is a blessing that comes from God that he does not give to everybody. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all in thy hand is, is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Hebrews is a book about warnings. It's people who've converted to Christianity, Jewish people who converted to Christianity, and because of persecution, and difficulties they're encountering. They're thinking about going back to Judaism, giving up on Christ, and going back to their former religion. And one of the things that, that they are warned about in verse uh, 5 in chapter 13 is keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. I mean, really, what do we believe is the best option for you and I? Is to invest God's money into lots of material things or to invest God's money in his things into eternal things. Things that will have no end. Things that will echo all the way in to the years of eternity. See, my friends, the key to all of it is to have wealth, but to not be enslaved by it. Not to be bound by it. I've known some wealthy people in my day. I've known some very wealthy people in my day. And I would not describe them as being the most joyful, happy, content people. Very often they are so worried about keeping what they have that it consumes them. 
Very often they spend their time trying to get more, thinking that if I have just a little bit more, then there's no way I'm going to lose it all. And so they, 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 they ruin their life. They waste their life away on temporal things rather than realizing that God has gifted them for a lot of reasons. And one of those is that they can be a blessing to other people because of their wealth. Verse 18, instruct them to do good, command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, you know, very often we have this mindset, and and there may be people in this room that don't tithe, but I would imagine probably most of you tithe or come close to tithing or, or whatever, and it's so easy for us to look at that and say, you know what, I'm giving 10% of everything that comes in to God, and, and he's given me the other 90% to, do, to, 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 to use for myself, to do what I want to do with it. Let me tell you guys, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us over and over again that everything is God's, and there should be a sense in, 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 in our use of absolutely everything that there's some benefit to the kingdom of God as a result of it. It's all his. You know, it's very wrong for us to go out and spend money without even giving any thought, asking the question to ourselves, is this something that is edifying? Is this something that is going to bring some benefit to other people? Is this something that's going to be a blessing to my Lord and to my Savior? Or am I doing it just because it's some sense of gets some sense of instant gratification from it? I talk about this in my in, in my science class at the college because uh, and, and, and there's a book. If you haven't read this book, I would encourage you to read this book. Uh, the name of it is Influenza, and it has to do with the all-consuming epidemic that has run amok in the U.S. It was first written back in 2000, before 2000, 2005, another edition came out. But it's a book full of statistics, and it just shows you how people waste away worldly wealth on, on ridiculous stuff. Just an example. Think about this. Think about a time, most of you can remember this, when you didn't see self-storage units around the country. You know, that was because people still had plenty of room at home to keep all their stuff. Right? But now, almost every week, there seems to be another one popping up. But let me tell you guys, statistically, it, the, whole, the whole thing is crazy. Now, I can understand some people needing that, but what it comes down to is this is we have so much stuff, we don't have enough room at home to keep it anymore, we have to get more space. But the crazy thing about it is statistically they can show that people who rent storage units, they will pay rent on it for years and years and years, and the vast majority of things they put in there they will never use again in their lifetime. That, my friends, is what's called hoarding. And we're all probably guilty of it to some degree. There's particular things that we like and whatever, and we just hoard it, hoard it, hoard it, hoard it. But what good is it doing? 
Having worldly wealth places some Christians in a unique position to accomplish much for the advancement of God's kingdom. Most of you know I've been reading Hudson Taylor's biography, and it's not one of those things you just breeze through. I've been working on it now for about a year, and I only read two or three pages at a time. It's a little teeny tiny print, and you know, and, and, and all of that. And every page is so full of rich stuff that you can't just shoot over it. But you're talking about a ministry when, when you know, the doors of China reopened during the years of Nixon and whatever, and people started going into China again from our part of the world. They found remnants of the China Inland Mission there that was started early in the 1800s by this guy named Hudson Taylor. A man who had nothing, started out with nothing. He just had a vision. And this vision was given to him by God, and that is that the gospel would be carried into China. And China had been closed. It's not the first time China's been closed. It was closed for thousands of years before. No foreigners were allowed to come in. And he was one of the first, he was one of the very first missionaries to go to China. And God, God had given him such a great heart for China. You know, of millions of people that were dying every year without ever hearing one word about the gospel, without ever hearing anything about the Bible, without hearing anything about Jesus Christ. And it burned his heart. It, it, it burned his heart. And he went, not because necessarily he wanted to. He went because he felt like he had no other choice. And when he went there, he was one European very often in the midst of millions of Chinese people. And, and, and he was British, and the British were colonizing part of China at the time, Hong Kong and other areas. And so there was, there was active rebellion and revolt and fighting and battling going on periodically over the whole duration of his time in China. There were times when he was, his life was threatened. Frequently, he suffered unbelievable illnesses, almost died two or three times from sicknesses he contracted while he was in China. He fell on a boat he was being transported in, broke his spine, was in bed probably for a whole year. And let me tell you, none of these things deterred him from going back. He went back and back. In back, in back. And where one man first had the vision, it became contagious. And before too many years, the China Inland Mission had 700 missionaries in China. Because Hudson Taylor went. But what does this have to do with worldly wealth? Well, if you're familiar with Covenant Children's Home you, and, and with the church, you know this. You know that we're debt-free. We have a debt-free policy. We don't borrow any money. We never have. We have no intention of ever doing that, of borrowing money to keep the ministry going. 
lot of us would attribute that to George Bristle or to Bristle. Is it George? To Bristle. He lived at the same time Hudson Taylor did. They were contemporaries. They knew each other. They both had this non-debt policy as far as missions go. They would not borrow money. Matter of fact, Hudson Taylor was sent by a mission-sending agency, and when he found out they had borrowed money to send him money, he cut his connection with them. This mission never took on any debt at all to do any building construction, to, do, to support missionaries, not even on the spur of the moment. Just say, well, we're borrowing a little money for this week because we're getting money next week and we pay it off. No debt, no debt, no debt ever. A lot of what they got came from people that didn't have a lot to give. I read one account of a lady that, that basically just felt so compelled by God to give what little she had that she gave up eating meat in her diet. Because the people in China needed to hear the gospel more than she needed the meat. A lot of money came in from sources like that. People that really did not have a lot to give, but they freely gave from what little they did have. A lot of it also came from large donors who were able to give large amounts of money. You can understand how that really helps and that can fuel a ministry. People that have been extra specially gifted by God now turning around and giving large sums of money to this mission agency. I mean, just think about that money that was given to the church last year. I'm, I'm the only one, I think, that even knows where it came from. It would surprise some of you where it actually came from. But it certainly was a relief to us because we had cut our giving to missionaries and so on and and whatever. And immediately, and I was so proud of the deacons for doing this, immediately when that money came in, the first question that came up is we've got to give back some of what we've taken away. And they did that. Money is a gift from God. Wealth is a gift from God. And we know this, that that things cost money. There's a sense, guys, in which God has given us so much because he gives us the opportunity then to turn around and give it all away. Or give a good bit of it away. Or give most of it away. It's the means that he has chosen to finance his his work and ministry in the world. We understand that. For Hudson Taylor to do what he did required money. It had to come from somewhere. They even did some crazy things. They got to the point where they were sending women out to distant remote places in China, sometimes by themselves. Can you imagine having the courage to do something like that? 
And I tell you what, guys, just it, it, there's hardly a page you can find in that huge biography that doesn't demonstrate God's providential provision in some way. How many times they were down to the point where they didn't have two pennies to rub together. But their confidence was in God. So we're not talking about once or twice that they had a bill to pay and they didn't have the money and somehow the, the money mysteriously appeared from nowhere. We're talking about almost daily those kinds of things happened. The cupboard was bare. There was no money to pay this bill. There was no money to send missionaries on the field. So on and so on and so on. And every single time he testified to this that the money came through. Every time. Thousands upon thousands of requests for necessary things. And they just laid it before the throne of, of, of God. And, and, he, and he was faithful absolutely every time. It got to the point they didn't worry about anything. We've had just a little taste of that here at Springs. Started out with ten people. We've never borrowed money. We built, bought all this property. We built all the buildings on it. Covenant Children's Home has been built the same way. Never borrowed a penny. And let me tell you, it was discouraging to me in the beginning because I had pastors who were telling me things like, it will never happen. You cannot do it, Keith, without borrowing money. You will cripple your ministry by having that mentality. But I mean, ultimately, guys, it comes down to this, and that is understanding that it's all God's, and God is able. He's able to provide everything that's needed for everything He wants done. You know, I would look very differently. You know, a building campaign, you know, we want to add a building or do something like that. Uh, and the money doesn't come in, you know, and in, 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 in time. I, I would look at it, I would conclude the Lord just doesn't want us to build the building yet. But there's so, ministries, so many ministries today that are financed on debt. Very often they have capital fundraising events so they can get their debt down so they can build another building. And they steal themselves of the opportunity of seeing God work in an unbelievable, miraculous way. Because the church very often does its business very much like the world does its business when it comes to finances. Skip a little bit here. We're running out of time. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Let me ask you something. What is the most valuable thing that has been trusted to you? You might think my wife. My wife would be right near the top of my list. You might think my children. They would be right near the top of my list. You might think my grandchildren. They'd be right at the top of my list. But there's something more precious that has been trusted to all of us.
And Paul warns about the possibility of some losing that. The gospel. The simple gospel. The greatest gift this universe has ever known. Unfortunately, guys and gals, there have been people who have done everything to pervert it in every generation. You know as well as I do that there are people out there today claiming they're Christians, and you and I look at them and we say, there's no way that you know Christ and live the way you do. Because there are people who believe that, that, that being a Christian gives you license to be free to do anything and everything that you want to do. No matter how immoral or how vulgar or whatever it happens to be. Paul warns us against that kind of thinking and he says, you know what, may that never be. May that be anathema. It would be crazy for anyone to believe that God could give you what he's given you and then you abuse it like you do. As if it's nothing, it's meaningless, it's unvaluable, not valuable. People are always trying to shove good works back into the picture. And there's nothing that should sadden you and I more than that. Because what you would find if you canvassed people today in the United States... What is the gospel? And what you would hear them say, more than anything else, it has to do with me doing. Me doing. Me being a good person. Etc., etc., etc. My friends, that is not the gospel at all. The gospel says... You contribute absolutely not one single iota of anything. That your salvation rests absolutely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Period. That's the most precious, most valuable information that you and I have. And we need to share it. It will bring eternal dividends. Don't try to complicate it. Sometimes we complicate the gospel to the point people can't even understand it. And there's a sense in which theologically you do that. But it's so simple. Anybody can understand it. And like we said before, good works are part of the picture. But good works are simply the evidence that you've really been saved.
You understand? That's what's going on in Ephesus here. This is one of the primary reasons that Paul has written this letter. To warn Timothy, to, to instruct people who are there in the church in Ephesus teaching the wrong knowledge. And, and we have to understand that that more than likely had to do something with taking the gospel of grace and perverting it into something it's not. Bringing good works back into the picture all over again. Your good works. You're, you're going to have them because you're fundamentally a good person. Or you make yourself a better person. Rather than teaching over and over again that we are absolutely and totally dependent upon God for everything. Every dot, every T crossed, every I dotted on our behalf by Christ. Don't change it. There's a human tendency to do that. Preach it. Preach it to yourself every day. I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm saved by grace through faith. And that faith is a gift from God. If you believe, you believe for one reason, because God has given you a gift, and that gift is faith. Don't pervert it. Don't twist it. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about your doing. It's all about him.